Let's cadals. Let's do this. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Witty Banter, episode number 67. I'm one of your hosts, Chase Williams, joined by... bro. Is it 68? Is it 68? Last one was 67, man. Oh, dude, hold on. Chase. Oh, hold on. on. You really need to keep up. Everyone with this, hold okay? their fucking horses. Everybody, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> oh, this is man. episode number 68. I'm <laughs> one of your hosts, Chase Williams. Start it right here. This is actually where we're going to cut. Hold their fucking horses. <laughs> <laughs> Joined oh. by uh, the long, tall Texan, Hunter Dorsett. Yeehaw! <laughs> and Max Super Gold Scott. Hey, thank you for showing that in my face. Great. That's kind of like ambiguous because he's always like goldish yellow in color in, in his hue, yes. but also he's super gold in Street Fighter. Yes, my mic is gold. That's, I love gold. That's so. <laughs> Good for you guys. You guys did it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Witty Banter is a show where we, where we review a beer, and uh, that's not going to stop today. Hunter, what beer are we reviewing? So today, from Ska Brewing Company, we are You can just reviewing, hear the trumpets already. Yeah. <laughs> we are reviewing the Modus Mandarina Indian Pale Ale. And so, from what I found on the interwebs, it has an alcohol by volume percentage of 6.8, hmm. and has 88 IBUs. I'm pretty excited to drink a beer that's not just like put you on your ass alcoholic content style, which I feel like the last three beers that we've, we've been drank packing are. some heavy hitters. This is a chiller. This yeah. is more, you're gonna feel a more chill vibe from this. We'll episode. see. What was the ABV? It's six point eight. Okay. The last ones were like nine and then and ten. On their yeah. we, on their website, um, its description says a unique twist on Modus Hopperandi, which I think is kind of like the base version of the beer, and then this Modus Mandarina is like a different take on it. And so it says, uh, yeah, a unique twist on the Modus Operandi. This citrus IPA is dry hopped with a generous portion of Mandarina Bavaria hops and brewed with sweet orange peels. Ooh. Yeah, so I, I just poured mine up. The color is quite orange. It's actually one of the... Like most, it's it's not like an amber or anything. It's it's pretty fucking orange. It's not very filtered at all. In fact, it almost looks like there's like sediment just hanging around in it. That might just be me. Um, uh, immediately upon pouring it, it just smelled really bitter. It just it kind of just smelled like an IPA to me. I didn't really smell much of the orange. Okay. Uh, and I and I took my first sip already, and yeah, this this beer is like really really bitter. I don't get much of like an orange flavor per se from the. Just the general, like the first sip, like up front or anything. Instead, what feels the most orangish to me is almost like a super tart, bitter orange peel. Like you've eaten a bit of an orange peel or something. Yeah, I was kind of questioning the idea of a sweet orange peel. Because if anybody knows oranges, biting into an orange peel is like the grossest thing ever usually. So. Yeah, the rind is no no good. It's, it's surprising how there's such a fine line between like if something is orange, you're like, oh, cool. But if it's orange peel, which is very similar, yeah. it's in this, definitely in the same ballpark. I mean, it's a part of the same fruit. Yeah. <laughs> the peel just, and but, the but it's, but it's, you know, it's way less attractive yeah. when it's the rind. Well, let me I, ask I you this. Would you ever eat a banana peel? I don't think you would. <laughs> I don't think I would either. I don't know. But a banana peel flavored <laughs> beer? I'd try it. <laughs> give, it give it a shot. <laughs> I will say when, uh, when Max and I poured ours, we had like a really tight off-white head. On it, yeah, um, very smooth and toit. 
Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's just a nice orange. Like I, I mean, it's appropriate, you know. It's, it's yeah, the color is striking. I don't really know how to describe it more than orange, but like I, I know with most beers, they kind of have like an orangish brown or an amber. This is no, like, this is like orange, radiantly orange. orange. Yeah. It's like it's like a. It looks like it's filtered, but that it's like a cloudy filtered or something. It's like I don't know how else to put it. Like light sort of makes its way through, but it doesn't look like it's some foggy like. See, I don't really get like the sediment. It just looks kind of like a foggy beer to me. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just when I look at it with light behind it, it looks like there's stuff hanging in there. Yeah, but I will say also, it's it's pretty thin. Uh, I think that six point eight percent alcohol it makes it already like pr- easy to easy to drink just in the mouthfeel. It's not as robust. Mm-hmm. We've been lifting some heavy weights, and now this is lightweight, baby. Yeah, this is pussy shit, dude. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, <laughs> we're fucking <yeah>. ripped. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we get the episode started, I want to thank our fan, Ben Ebig, real quick for pointing out that last week we had a bit of a technical issue on our episode and we got it fixed um, after he let us know. So thanks for looking out, my man. Uh, and then I also want to say that in next week's episode, we're doing something a little bit special. We were invited to the Ashford Pub, which is actually where we had our promotional photos shot. And they were super... Uh, hospitable towards us and now they're letting us host one of their pint nights with 11 below brewing so we're going to be interviewing them for the episode and also tasting some of their beers and we're really excited about it and if you have any questions about their brewery or just brewing in houston or about their beers be sure to send them to us um at the email address wittybantershow at gmail.com or just go to our website wittybantershow.com i'm pretty pretty excited for that episode yeah, it's going to be awesome. If you if you want kind of like a reference, uh, I think on generally how it'll sort of be like, you can go to episode 40. That's where we kind of did something similar with uh, Thirsty Planet Brewing. Uh, we'll probably won't be doing like the whole getting to brew it because we won't be there in their brewery. But yeah, it's going to be cool. I think we're going to be meeting the brewmaster and the most vocal owner of theirs. So it should be fun. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. Okay, well, let's go ahead and jump right into the news. This is Woody Banter. Beep boop, beep boop, boop. All right, guys. I gotta be honest, man. I'm a little. It's been a long week. I'm already tired. You know, normally I'm the backbone of the entire show. I'm the one bringing all the heat. I'm gonna need you guys to really step it up this time. Oh yeah, really? Uh, is that is that yeah. how it goes, Chase? Is that how we? Yeah, I see. Pretty, I see is that how we the, the yeah. traps are just getting bigger and bouncier. I'm, I'm, I'm getting the wheels going, man. You're gonna put me on the spot. I'm gonna deliver, bro. Put your muscles up to the mics, whichever ones are louder. Yeah. See what's up. Listeners, you tell us. Does that sound, who sounds who sounds more jacked? Okay, uh, this first story is kind of a follow-up to one that we did last week. We don't have to spend too much time on it. I just want to kind of check in on the story. But Nintendo breaks this major record thanks to Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go continues to benefit Nintendo's business despite the fact that Nintendo didn't even make the game. According to a report from Bloomberg, (laughs) Nintendo broke a Tokyo stock market record on Friday when the company traded 476 billion yen, which is $4.5 billion worth of shares. Nintendo's, Nintendo shares have surged more than 86% since Pokemon Go came out, adding $17 billion to the company's market value, and it has earned $35 million since its release. Yowza. It's huge. It's all I got to say. It's huge. It's it really, fantastic. I love it. It really is gigantic and like how quickly this happened to where like I feel like I heard about Pokemon Go and like turned around and then realized I was looking at like 12 million people playing fucking Pokemon Go. It was crazy. Yeah. Okay, can I ask, 
is everybody on the Pokemon Go train? I've, I've, I recently picked it up. I yeah, went, I've been... I've been playing. I, I want to play more. I have only gotten to really actually focus on it maybe two or three times, but I have played. Yeah, yeah, I played it once, and it was cool. I just haven't had, like, the time to play it a little bit. Yeah, it was definitely weird whenever I, like, because I went to, like, a little city center, and uh, there was, like, a bunch of people around, and there was definitely, like, a... You could tell who was playing Pokemon Go and who wasn't. It was... Did you talk to them? Uh, yeah, we gave them definitely, like, signs of acknowledgement. We're like, hey, yeah. man, what's up? I, I, I dig. Up, I dig what you're doing. You find that red Pokemon or what? <laughs> there was a big like. I don't know if it was like an accident or something that happened in uh, New York or like Madison Square, where like one rare Pokemon was like happening near, near some collected area, and like there's video footage of people like pulling over and getting out of their cars and like physically Just, like, running. It looks like a mob. Running. Yeah, dude. Like I swear, <laughs> it's unreal for these fake things and it's like i mean it's great dude i love the game but like dude they aren't real like that is crazy and have no monetary well i guess probably not no monetary value you can probably sell an account with rare pokemon on it now for like a good amount of money but still it's just yeah wacky. i saw that someone has already created an app that's a pokemon go dating service so you can like go on no. dates via Pokemon, like, and play Pokemon Go together. It's just cool. That's awesome. But yeah, it just blows my mind that uh, Nintendo shares have surged more than 86%. That's fucking crazy. I think the quote that I heard, it was like, their shares before Pokemon Go right before were like 14 something, and now it's like over 30. Yeah. Yeah, that's That's outrageous. (laughs) That's wild. Ridiculous, dude. Yep. Well, I think most of the internet has heard for these past two weeks. They know that it's a, a sensation. They know that it's big. Um, but I do want to kind of continue to follow it on on the big uh, news stories as they come out, just because it is interesting. You know, it, it continues to fascinate me just watching the phenomenon unfold. Yeah, we don't get many things like that, so let's mm-hmm. let's keep up with it. Yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, this next news story, this one comes from Reuters, and it says, Elon Musk's master plan expands Tesla into electric truck, trucks and buses. And uh, this news story actually came out only 40 minutes ago, so we're, we're pretty, pretty fresh Hot on the it. Presses. Damn, yeah, right out the oven. So the, the story reads, Tesla Motors, Inc. Chief Executive Elon Musk Wednesday unveiled an ambitious plan to expand the company into electric semi-trucks and buses, car sharing, and solar energy systems. In a blog post titled Master Plan Part Due, Musk sketched a vision of an integrated carbon-free energy enterprise offering a wider range of vehicles and products and services beyond electric cars and batteries. He restated his argument that Tesla should acquire and integrate the operations of solar panel installer Solar City Corp., where Musk is chairman and a major shareholder. So, you know, we're big fans of Elon Musk on this podcast in the sense that we talk about him a lot. And, you know, a little over a year ago, he unveiled his plan to create those solar powered batteries. And here we have uh, more vision for his plan of the company of, of going into buses and semi trucks and stuff. So I just wanted to get your guys' general, you know, reaction to that. That just seems like natural, of course, especially just like the physical like size of a semi truck. You would think that like, well, you just put some solar panels on the top of that bad boy <laughs> and you got free energy, bad right? Boy. I mean, I have no idea how it works, but like I assume that's how it works, right? Yeah, put it on the bed. Yeah, I mean, in public transportation, I mean, that's going to cut out a lot considering that most of those and semi trucks obviously are going to be like inefficient when it comes to like gasoline and things like that. So if you really attack those mostly, you're going to end up taking a huge chunk out of the... Uh, you know, gas usage and uh, power usage and things like that. I mean, it, it's awesome. I think it's like expected. I don't think it's like, you know, this whole master plan revealed. We're going to actually like 
apply this to every vehicle possible. It's like, oh, of course. And I hope that happens very soon. I cannot wait. I, I, I agree. I, I do think that it seems like a natural step. However, I think it's a little soon. I think like they still have some ground to cover in regards to the car offerings that they already have. And like, while they definitely have like the hype and buzz that you want um, and the innovation that you want, I still think that they have yet to like proliferate the marketplace to where there's some sort of like dominant force where it's like, okay, well, obviously they're going to go for trucks. Obviously they're going for buses. Like I, I, I think it's more of just like a him being like, this is in the stratosphere of what we're thinking about. Um, but I think it's a little early. Like I, I still think that there's some ground to cover for the normal cars that he has first. Well, they definitely, yeah, are. I think, I think I'm, I'm kind of in agreement with you too. It almost feels a little bit like an overextension, you know, like, it, maybe we want to see like let, let's let's see you realize one portion of your plan to fruition first before we start laying out like this huge roadmap that is kind of ubiquitous a, across all like automotive stuff. Mm-hmm. It's almost it almost seems like because we made uh, some some parallels between them and Apple last episode. But what's interesting for me is it almost seems like <clears throat> the opposite where. Apple was very focused and their products were very finite and targeted and they, you know, they became like a huge force of nature. And then now it's kind of like they're trying to spread out and see what they can do with all of this, you know, this headroom that they have. And it seems almost the opposite. We're like, like Tesla is starting out with like a million ideas at once. And like none of them really for me have gotten to like a hundred percent like, yep, that's the biggest thing to come yeah. out. That's awesome. That's going to like, that completely changes everything. Even though like I'm excited about all of it and I'm like behind all of it. It's just crazy that they have such different sort of like strategies, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, so we'll go ahead and move on to our next news story. First of all, are you guys aware of the video game Overwatch? Uh, yeah, I've heard of it. Uh, it. It's come up from time to time. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a character in there named Symmetra and... That's going to be the focal point of this next story, and I just want to make sure that we have that background info laid. Mm -hmm. But the title of the article is, Hindu leader wants Blizzard to drop Symmetra's Devi skin from Overwatch. (laughs) Religious statesman and president of the Universal Society of Hinduism, Rajan Zed, released a statement today urging Blizzard and Activision to remove an Overwatch skin. He said, quote, trivialized Hinduism's highly revered goddesses, end quote. Wow. Devi is the great goddess of Hinduism, worshipped in many different form and names since prehistoric times, while Symmetra's Devi skin and its recolored counterpart, goddess, doesn't seem to represent any one particular aspect of the goddess. It incorporates many aspects of their traditional traditional depiction, notably Kali's skull decoration and the blue skin associated in the faith with all things infinite. And then part of Rajan Zed's statement says... um, In a video game setup, the player controls the movements of Devi, while in reality, the devotees put the destinies of themselves in the hands of their goddesses. Moreover, Devi and its movements depicted in Overwatch did not match with characterization of the the goddesses and scriptures, Rajan Zed noted. I kind of wanted to talk to you guys about this, because I think there might be an interesting conversation I have here about, like, what's off-limits when, you know making entertainment and you know i don't know if you want to call it art but just making entertainment in general 
Um, and and kind of ha- does this touch on a cultural like appropriation of any sort? I wanted to get your guys' general reaction to this. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's it depends on like how literal the costume or the uh, yeah, like the DLC or whatever is actually like attributed to that specific goddess. I mean, I do think that there's really just nothing that's like off like that you can't do. You know, I think that it's totally fine from my perspective but i see where they're coming from and i see that like at the end of the day they don't want people like you know teabagging as the goddess or something like that mm-hmm. right because that's like the idea <laughs> that's what he's saying when he's saying that like, you can control her but she's really not supposed to be something that can be controlled and things hmm. i mean if it's a literal interpretation of the goddess it might be out of bad taste but if it's just something that like reminds people of the hindu like religion or something like that i don't think that it should be taken that way i mean she's supposed to be a character that represents that uh ethnicity and that religion so i don't know yeah there's there there's an additional statement that he says um it says rajan zet indicated that reimagining hindu scriptures symbols concepts and deities for commercial or other agenda was not okay as it created confusion Controlling and manipulating Devi with a joystick, button, keyboard, or mouse was de- was denigration. Devi was not meant to be worshipped, or Devi was meant to be worshipped in temples and home shrines, and not to be reduced to just a quote unquote character in a video game to be used in combat in the virtual battleground. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying, Max. Is when you say like, well, if it's just uh, like a general representation. Um, it might be okay. Was that kind of the main point you're yeah. saying? I mean, it's just like, it's, I don't know exactly what the costume is. And if it's like, it's like, I don't know, you would have to be, if you put somebody in like a white robe and then had like a yellow aura around them, like, is that like a Jesus costume? I was thinking the same thing. Like if you give a guy a beard and some, and some uh, yeah. Crocs well, or whatever. You know what I mean? Did you say Crocs? Before <laughs> yeah, we continue <laughs> down. Jesus wore Crocs, right? <laughs> that was him, right? He invented Crocs? <laughs> Before we continue down that line of thought, I mean, the, the, the article does point out that the game's costume is more of like an amalgamation of different depictions of the goddess. And it is, it is directly kind of referencing her. It's not, you know, it's not like a loose association. It's definitely meant to be pointing to this one goddess. Yeah. Know? It's not like an offshoot. My, I mean, my main reaction, my first reaction, and this is kind of my general thought towards art in general, and I don't want to argue whether or not this game is art or not, but I think they're, they're close enough that the, that the, uh, parallels hold up is nothing's off limit in art, really you know, nice. like I, nothing like, and I don't think anything should be like, I don't think they're doing anything that is deliberately like slanderous towards this, um, uh, this goddess or religion or anything. And, and this is where the question of like cultural appropriation kind of comes in. You know, it's like, I mean, look at a uh, Rashid, right. Mm-hmm. In street fighter, you know, he's got like, he's from, the desert or whatever. And he wears like a turban and you know, all that stuff. And you can, you can kind of say like, okay, well this is cool because they're representing a culture or you can say this is bullshit because they are just denigrating a, an entire culture to a single Every, characterization yeah. of a, yeah, it's like of a character. token kind yeah. of of sorts. Exactly. Every Middle Eastern guy wears a turban, right? Or yeah. Like <laughs> thing, so I, I mean, I agree. I'm, I'm a, I'm of the South park mind where I also don't think that anything should be off limits. And I think that, you know, pushing and, you know, pushing outward and testing people's comfortability with stuff is is a good thing for the most part. Um, but again, I, I, I do think that you have to acknowledge uh, when people 
are uncomfortable with certain things, um, especially like I can actually definitely understand the commercialization of something that people hold dear. And um, because I do think that like at a certain point, like there is, while I don't think that like for the sake of art that it's necessarily wrong, I do think that just something being used to sell stuff and like be the, the profit driver uh, for, for, you know, whoever it, it, it does kind of throw some shade on it my way. So yeah, I, I, I can agree. see that hmm. like using it specifically, like weaponizing a reference just to sell it towards a specific group of people or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, I'm know. really like, uh, personally, uh, I guess just not freaked out, but I'm sensitive towards like being marketed towards and, and, things being commercial over commercialized and stuff. So I think I, I think like the guy completely has the right to say it. It's not like he's like wrong in that sense. And, and it's something that's really important to him and to the people that follow that faith. But, uh, at the same time, I, it's like, just because people, this the same thing with like Muhammad, like you're not supposed to depict images of him at the same time. Like what is an image of Muhammad? I could write like, a stick figure on the thing and be like, that's Muhammad, Muhammad you know? Muhammad. And so like at a certain extent there's, there's, it's really becomes hazy. I think, you know, you just, and that kind of plays into just the abstraction of what art can be, you know, like the more lucid, some like a drawing or a depiction becomes the more like obvious it is that it's a representation. And then you have more like abstract things where you're, you're actually bringing more of the character yourself to what you see in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, like I said, it's just, it. at the end of the day, it's totally okay, but you can always say that something is in bad taste. You can always say that. So if they're just, I agree. We're taking a, if they're taking a rip of the, like, the actual goddess themselves or herself, then it might be in bad taste, but it's not, like, against the rules. And like you said, it's okay for him to be, for him to point that out. Yeah. And be like, yeah, dude, that's, Whack. That's <laughs> not cool with me, bro. Say. That's whack, man. You're hurting my religion. Asado. Asado. Like, I don't like that costume, dude. <laughs> Asado. <laughs> okay. Uh, our last news story is one that is just kind of a headline to to be more of a jumping off point of the event that happened this weekend. But the headline is Street Fighter Five has, has its first world champion. And it's just bringing up that this, this Sunday... Um, South Korean Nash extraordinaire Lee Infiltration Seon Wu, uh, the world number one going into Evo, defeated Japan's Armika using Fudo in the grand final of the competition, which attracted a whopping 5,000 entrants. And Max, I just kind of wanted to talk to you because we spent the weekend kind of watching the event and we saw the headlining grand finals on ESPN2, uh, which they broadcasted from the crowd at the... Um, Shit, what was the name of the... Mandalay Bay, right? Mandalay Bay, yeah, which is where they do, like, big UFC prize fights, boxing matches, concerts, huge stadium. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's really So awesome. this was supposed to be kind of a potential pivotal moment for the franchise and for the community, and so I just wanted to ask you, what, what were your thoughts now that we're kind of past it? Uh, we watched all of Top 8 together. It, was, it started off, I think, really strong, and I think the reason being is because when you have, like... I forget how many of the same characters were being played. Um, you had a lot more diversity within like the cast and within the players themselves. People who are a little bit like you had Li Joe, who was you know America's representative, and that definitely added a lot of like hype to the entire moment. I think 
as it got near the end, um, people who are more invested in the Street Fighter had a good like understanding of what was going on. I think that from what I saw on uh, ESPN, they were doing a really good job to like kind of it almost offered like the two different streams to watch, right? Like you have the Twitch stream where it's like for everybody that plays SF5 and you're going in there, you don't need to over explain anything. You wanted commentary and you wanted like, you know, all this, yeah, like something. They had different commentators. They literally had different commentators. And ones that were were arguably probably more like uh, community favorites too, which I think was a smart idea. Yeah, on ESPN. But I also, from what I saw from, or what I saw and heard from them doing commentary, and they were great commentary. It was great, uh, Seth Killian and Mike Ross. But it was obvious that like they were stressing in like, over explaining a lot of moments to kind of make sure that it came across well to like newer viewers on ESPN too. Which I well, I got to say, I mean, the, the, the previous days when we were watching the commentary from some of the other guys, I'm happy that they went with that approach because they were talking in more general terms about like, Oh, he's, he's adding pressure now, or he's, you know, on the attack here and they weren't talking specifics, but I don't think you need those specifics when you're, when you're watching just like the overall grand yeah. event, you know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, at the end of the day, I, Man, I thought it was I thought it was awesome. I think that infiltration winning it all is like perfect to show that the game isn't uh you know, just like a video game that like is random and like you can actually be really like you can be the best at it. Infiltration walked in You can into, be dominant. Yeah, infiltration walked into a five thousand person bracket or a five thousand person tournament and won it. And I don't wanna say easily, but like fairly easily and like you know dominantly convincingly he like won he the tournament it. yeah he deserved it and he went in there and he really won um i think it's like i think that the production value that came on to ESPN was just so next level and so just like made it a lot more fun to watch even for me somebody who like loves street fighter and like doesn't necessarily need all that but it made it much more applicable for me to watch it that's what i wanted to bring up dude was first of all the arena that they were in was super fucking impressive yeah. it was pretty filled out the stage was incredible just it had a level of polish that looked like a legitimate sporting event. And there were people even at our bar who came up and they're like, what is this? They started talking to us and they're like, who's this guy? And like, they wanted to watch it. And another person came up and they're like, wait, which street fighter is this? Like people who weren't there for the event were interested in it. And not only that, like I was reading through forums and stuff and that was happening everywhere. There were people everywhere had ESPN two on. Wow. Didn't even know that was coming up. So that's cool. Yeah, and, and a lot of people um, saw it who weren't a part of the Street Fighter V fandom and either who, who either liked video games and ended up being like, wait, there's a new Street Fighter out, I want to play it, or who had no idea and they're like, this is pretty cool. And so I think they definitely took the moment. I think they capitalized on it in every way. And I think the fact that Long Island Joe went as far as he did and was the American... Um, the, the only American in there. I honestly think that probably gave, that was a moment they needed. Yeah, was, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be looked at in years in the future as a pivotal moment for like why the sport maybe gained more traction in this one weekend. Yeah. Because, you know, they ESPN flew his dad out the day before and they had that great moment of like interviewing his dad with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think everything went well. I think it went exactly, everything happened that needed to happen, you know? It was really good. I mean, it almost felt like unreal, yeah, like surreal with the L.I. Joe and his, like, dad being in stage and, like, the two cameras and showing how, like, enthusiastic he was and how, you know, supportive his dad was to, like, the culture, which is very important, too, for people watching it and, like, you know, poo-pooing a bunch of people (laughs) playing video games when you can see something like that. And one, like... 
Yeah, just showing that like a dad supporting his son and like getting so behind his son playing this video game, but it's really con- like this competitive thing, you know. It's like the official entity. American dad stamp of approval. It really was, man. It was it was very sweet. It was really cool. I was he represents dads <laughs> everywhere here in this great red, white, and blue country. First, I just told him to get off the damn Nintendo. Yeah, but now you did I understand. Real good on the Nintendo, buddy. <laughs> hey, I have a question. So, Chase, uh, I'm gonna parallel it to something. What is your prefer- preferred channel to watch F1 on? Oh, so it's it's a British um, a British network called Sky Sports. Okay, because I was uh, like y'all talking about the different channels as far as like one being a little bit more basic and like giving people a little bit more like clarity and not being super specific. It kind of reminded me of, like whenever we were watching F1 and like NBC was you know starting and com- bringing it to America, and it's not like traditionally a super American, mm-hmm. you know, uh, consumed sport. And so it was kind of like that. It was kind of like, oh, like they were talking about super generic kind of like BS. Whereas like when you watch it on like the Sky Sport thing, it was like you could tell it was a lot more ingrained and a lot more like super specialized for the people that like actually consume that all the time. Mm-hmm. So do you like it, it was surprising because I guess like whenever we we had to we had to watch it on NBC one time because we couldn't watch it on Sky Sports. And you were like, this is such BS, man. This sucks comparatively. Do you think that other people felt like that the way that you're feeling? Because it seems like y'all are like, y'all were really excited about the ESPN2 coverage, even though y'all might have had a little bit of ten- tentativeness going in. Yeah. No, I, I think that the way that they did it on ESPN2 with Street Fighter was actually a more elegant way than they do on NBC. Because the thing with NBC is even though it's it's simpler, I still find it like unfocused and redundant and just not very good. <laughs> Whereas here, it may be more basic, but it was the right kind of basic. You know, like I said, he they weren't using like terms and jargon that only Street Fighter Five players would know. Instead, they are talking more about like strategy in a way. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this player is showing great defense here, or this player is now pressuring with this type of move. And they might explain in between rounds what they mean, which I think, you know, I didn't need, but I think it was important. Because uh, before the final event, I was honestly ready to come onto the podcast and kind of rip the officiate, like the the commentary, because when you're, you're just watching pools, which I understand now is more for just the hardcore fans, a lot of the commentators I found just incredibly obnoxious and annoying. And I was like, if this extends into Sunday, yeah. they're going to fucking blow it. <laughs> but instead, the al- the alternative Twitch stream that was going alongside ESPN2 had um, another... FGC member David Chen is his name correct? Uh, it was uh, James Chen and Sajim were James doing, Chen. Yeah, the yeah James Chen, and I I like him a lot. I think he's kind of like a, a fan favorite, maybe. Like mm-hmm. I don't really know what the the main pulse is, but on there, he was just getting super hyped. You know, he was a lot of fun to listen to as well. So you did have the best of both worlds. But I do think that the ESPN two uh, overall package and product was exactly what it needed to be yeah i wanted to also bring up did you see the numbers that espn that like street fighter 5 got comparatively no i haven't seen anything yet so i haven't seen a whole lot of comparison of like the numbers to other you know quote-unquote regular sports (laughs) but uh, i did do a lot of comparison to other esports um events and things and it actually got like I think it beat it honestly beat like some game I had never really heard of. But other than that, it it did about like 200,000 total viewership, which was like not spectacular. So, you, well, so look, underwhelming. It was very underwhelming. I think yeah. 
but I think something to recognize here is like, yes, you've got the games like Dota and League of Legends that have these massive viewerships, but I don't think that game has the power to reach the mainstream like Street Fighter does. And this is why, because Street Fighter is a much simpler game to turn on and immediately understand what is happening. Whereas Dota and stuff, I've watched like two or three yeah. world finals. I have no fucking clue how that I video have game no works. Idea how to play that game. It's the and it just when you talk about it, you sound like a fucking turbo dork. <laughs> With Street Fighter, it, it has a cool long to enough talk about Street Fighter, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sure, you can hot oaken. No, with Street Fighter, though, I think people have more of a touchstone in their past to it because of the old Street Fighter 2 games. They remember it in arcades. They know they know what Street Fighter is. So it's a much it's much easier for them to turn it on, know what Street Fighter is and get a general idea of what's happening really quickly. And I think that's why even though the beginnings may be small, smaller than what's already happening now, I still think it has a better chance of crossing into the mainstream. Yeah. And I hope that they don't take those numbers to like literally and stop or at least like don't pursue coverage of it this way because one thing to bring up is that it got like 200,000 total viewership but I think the highest one that I saw on there was actually the Mortal Kombat X viewership hmm. for um, Chasing the Crown or something like that for ESL tournaments got like 500,000 and was the top out of all of them which That's is surprising. crazy surprising but I also think that like that game is kind of the perfect like uh, combination of the two things you were mentioning it's like one, it's this like household name that like is like that's competitive, right? It's a competitive fighting game, but at the same time, it still like has a much bigger mainstream following than Street Fighter Five would. Like, yeah, people know Street Fighter Five, but like the game didn't sell like fractions to as much as uh, MKX did. And then when you have that many people like come in, like. You have everybody who wants to, who knows about the game coming in to support it on ESPN2, and then you have everybody coming in to, uh, who just like, who plays the game religiously, people who are like competitive players and things who are following the competitive scene, and the FGC are coming in to watch it. And it was just something that I kind of wanted to bring up that, but when you look at MKX on like a tournament standards, like where their Evo entrances were, they were like literally at the bottom. I think right above Pokémon Tournament was the only, like they had that many entrances. It's almost like, I want to say dying. But it's like on its way out now in the FGC, but it wasn't more than a year ago that that game was on ESPN and destroying Street Fighter V, which is supposed to be breaking new grounds in like FGC culture. Like 5,000 people went and joined this one tournament, mm -hmm. which is outrageous. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, it wasn't getting that viewership from the mainstream. So it's almost like hmm. something needs to happen to where like the mainstream needs to get behind the game. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, speaking from somebody who is like an outside perspective, I, I agree with you, Chasen, that like it is a simpler concept. It is like a pick it up, know what's going on. Like I, I get it. At the same time, though, I think what really truly makes it exciting for viewers and for like like you guys is y'all know what's going on. Like there is a lot of context, but like in between the lines, things that y'all can see happening. Whereas like I basically just see two people getting punched and kicked. And of two bars going down, like it looks, it doesn't look a whole lot different for me when two completely amateur people are playing and when two like master mm -hmm. people are playing. And I think that's yeah, like that's, the biggest barrier at entry to be, it being like a big breakthrough mainstream thing. Yeah. But I also think that description is the description that you can say about most sports, right? Like someone who's who doesn't know football just sees two players trying to score in the end zone, you know, and, and so on and so forth. And I actually think that the fact that 
you can so simply say, I just see two bars going down is maybe a strength, you know? Yeah, maybe. I think that's just what it needs is that like it needs to have people standing behind the game that don't play it almost in that sense, you know? I mean, if everybody played it, that would be fantastic. If everybody on the planet played the game, that would be great. But, like, not everybody's going to do that. So it needs to have the cultural appeal of, like, people that just like watching it. Like, dude, I mean, even basketball. Like, I play basketball, and I still don't know how exactly how fouls work or exactly how right. like, things will happen in a game. And I'm clueless on But I still will watch a game and, like, stand behind it. Well, that's why I think, like, I think what I'm really saying uh, is that the commentary is actually incredibly important. Yeah. That... If you are going to have people get into it, then like they will get into it if they can hear why the commentator's into it and he can explain it effectively and make people learn. And it's not like this, you know, like uh, esoteric, you know, mumbo jumbo. If they can just be like genuinely excited about what's going on, but still be able to keep it at a point where people who don't really know a whole lot of what's going on are still engaged. I think that would be that's what really is going to like make it make it or break it in that sense, probably. Well, I was super happy to see the overall production. I think it went exactly the way that it needed to. Um, and I'm stoked. I'm just stoked for the future, man. I, I hope it continues to get better, because if it does continue to get better, then it's only going to be great, you know, because it was already <laughs> great. Yeah. So I'm very excited to see the future of this game and the FGC just in general. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's go ahead and bump on over to halftime. We'll come back and talk about these beers. Okay. If you want to follow the show once the mics have turned off, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Witty Banter Show. Also, like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Witty Banter Podcast and help the show get discovered by leaving a review on iTunes. And finally, steer the conversation by sending a question to wittybantershow at gmail.com or suggest a beer for us to review by going to our website, wittybantershow.com. That's enough plugs. Let's get back to the show. And we're back, Bido Bebo. Better bell. That was a beep and a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> you get a beep and a laugh with me. What do you? How do you guys feel about the Ska Brewing Company's Modus Mandarina. I like it. I think it's really good. Um, I mean, it's just like when I, I don't know. I came on really strong with that. It's a lot <laughs> yeah, less interesting than I thought it was going to be. I think I kind of saw the can and thought like this is going to be this very unique tasting, very fleshed out but drinkable beer. But when I tried it, I almost like other than the color, I feel like I've like had it before in that sense. I mean, not to say it's bad, yeah. but I definitely feel like I've had this beer before. It doesn't feel very special, no, does it? Not at all. Chase, uh, well, uh, what I was going to say is, like, I feel like the way that I drink it actually impacts how I feel about it. Like, whenever I just kind of sip on it, I get a lot more of the uh, the orange, and, you know, it, it, it does have, like, a really riny feel, especially at the back end of the taste. Um, but I also think it's very, like, you could quaff this thing, man. It's It's, like... It's a light-bodied IPA, and it's it has yeah. bitterness, but I could throw this back. I feel like I got it halfway down in like one sip, um, but it is kind of thin and drinkable. Yeah, very. And and so in that sense, like I like I like the idea of like sessionable IPAs. I think that's actually like a really attractive uh, thing, but I don't really come across it very often. But I'll agree, like it doesn't 
it doesn't wow in any certain way. I mean, other than just like, yeah, you got the orange, which was like kind of expected and like maybe a little bit of like pininess or something. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's solid right now. I think I like it a little bit more as it's warmed up, but I do think that like the way that I drink it makes me feel differently about it. I don't like it as much when I just sip it, but I do like to just quaff it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It just seems very generic to me, you know, like, I don't really get much of that orange at all, except in the very back end. And it's a riny bitterness. It's not like a, it's not a pleasurable part test taste of orange. (laughs) And it's the part that I throw away on my orange. (laughs) And I'm picking up on that pininess as well. But the thing is, is like pininess is sort of what you, pininess just comes from hops. That's what you expect from a hoppy beer. So really all it is right now is just a light bodied kind of bland, bitter beer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah. That's all I got right now on this one. <laughs> Jay's got stank face on it, dude. You got them stinking it up over <laughs> here. Throwing shade at this beer, dude. <laughs> they can't all be winners. Can't. Can't all get the banter bump. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We're judicious with the bumping. <laughs> Every beer that's gotten the banter bump doubles in sales. <laughs> I like that. Though. That'll be the day. <laughs> we'll give this beer the banter bump. We'll have to, we'll we'll have to see if we can I'll sell that on the people that we're talking to this weekend. They're like, hey, you better be nice or else we won't give you Look, the dude, bump. Do you want the banter bump or not? Dude? <laughs> They're like, we invited you. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't make us you leave. assholes. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and hop over to our segment. We're going to do a top three tonight. My number three is definitely Goku's hair. I think my number two's got to be Hyper Beam. My number one is without a doubt Witty Banter. A top thrizzle trizzle. Max, you were talking about how you had some homework tonight, which just got me thinking about college, something that we've all been in or are still in now. And I wanted to ask you guys, what are your top three favorite college courses that you've taken? Uh, So, and it's basically just like subject matter. Like, is it? I would say like your favorite class, like your favorite. What are you laughing at? There's like a bug going freaking it's on on a, a giant, tangent over here. A giant roach threatening us. <laughs> Please oh, go fuck on. That, <laughs> I gotta call that shit in, dude. I had the fattest spider just oh. spinning a web right behind where Darian was sitting, and we're out on our porch. And it was one of those where like you're sitting there talking, and then you notice it out of the corner of your eye, you're like, "All right, time to go inside." Why? Yeah. <laughs> just come inside. Come inside right now. You don't want anybody to freak out. <laughs> this is now your place, and I'm gonna get out of your way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, there's there's those certain types of bugs that are big enough that where like you immediately feel like you're in their territory, <laughs> yeah. like you're invading. You know? <laughs> like they call yeah, you. Exactly. Like, uh, uh, I'll get out of your hair. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like with that spider, I went up with it like with a shoe, and I'm like, all right, Chase, you got to be like quick because if this thing can jump, it will be on you from at least four feet. <laughs> and you almost like, yeah, you have this like romanticized thing of what's gonna do is like it's gonna jump in your fucking eye. It's gonna just start eating away your eyes immediately. Get into your brain. <laughs> Lay eggs, then yeah. you're the corpse. You're dead. All right, top three worst bug stories. <laughs> no. Uh, no, I want to just your top three favorite college courses. Basically, like the the best three best times you've had in a semester in a specific course. Yeah. But we don't want to make it like a best professor per se, right? Like, well, well I mean, I think experience. that can factor into yeah. okay, it. Okay, okay. Best college course experience. Okay. Either of y'all want to jump okay, at okay. it, or uh, you want me to take up the mantle? What do you got? I think I, I think I know what my number three is. Okay, and it was take one it. that I think was like very 
uh, out of nowhere for me because Chase, you took a philosophy or philosophy philosophy about making falafels delicious. Hi, my name's Matt. I like philosophy. Anyway, my favorite philosophy there is. Uh, I took yeah a falafel course and Chase had taken one before me, and he you came back with like kind of a different mindset and you were like very invested into it and you were just telling me all these really like you know what I was thinking of as these very like over analyzed you know situations and just like thought processes. Yeah, I remember and, you specifically said anytime we talked about philosophy, you're like I just every philosophy course I go into is just like yeah, I know all this <laughs> and that's like and that's true and it kind of comes into what I was going to say that like I I took this course and yeah, of course a lot of it was just very like I don't know, all of it felt very just like if you you know, like eat. You know, it's like Pavlov. Like, wh- like the dog was salivating when he heard the bell because he knew it was like time to eat. And well, I was like, "That's, that's cool. psychology." Or, yeah. Well, either way, <laughs> philosophy in general, like just everything that they brought up, I just felt was very like obvious and very like simple in the way that I was thinking. But going into it, I kind of like transitioned in that mindset, and like while I was in the course, without even noticing didn't realize how like invested I had become in philosophy and stuff and not like philosophy is like I wanted to like study all these different philosophers and stuff like that. But I just remember like getting into this course and thinking like thinking that my ability to like logically think and critically think was actually like kind of unique and kind of cool that I was able to get it so far and something that I thought was like so easy. I wasn't thinking about in a way that was like, you know, everybody should get this and this is a dumb course, but maybe there was just something that I was getting and I almost felt like proud of myself by how well I was like doing in the course. And not only that, but that's awesome. I legitimately like was paying attention in that class like yeah. all the time. <laughs> and that's very rare for me for a lot of college <laughs> courses that I went into the class and like sat down and like, you know, crossed my arms and legs and like, listened to the professor for the first time. And I know it's a very like generic <laughs> overall of like the That's course. why those courses are the best though cuz you can sit there and just absorb and like when you have an engaging subject and an engaging speaker, you can actually learn more from just sitting there and listening. And it's the best course that I've ever taken where I didn't like feel like I had to take notes really. It was like all about just and he stressed that a lot. He was very, you know, like don't just write everything down that I say or write on the board. Like, just listen to what I have to say. And I did. And I did really well. It was, like, one of the highest grades I've ever gotten in a class. It was, like, a 99. Like, it was wow. outrageous. Yeah. Nice. That's crazy. But I just really, like, I think at that point, and, like, the next time I talked to you, I think I, like, apologized for it. <laughs> like, kind of, yeah, <laughs> just being like, dude, I'm sorry for, like, slandering your philosophy, like, <laughs> love and stuff. But what it really broke down to is I didn't realize that, like, how's how much of philosophy really was just like logical thinking and not only logical thinking, it is the basis. Logic is the basis of, yeah, like you have to, you have to have logic in order to step into philosophy. And it sounds like I've been kind of pompous about the way I've been like approaching it. And I just get that and I'm great. But the reason why is (laughs) because I liked math and I still like math a lot. And I didn't realize that a lot of the like upper level math courses that I took were a lot less about like the, generic like formula memorization and a lot more about just like understanding logic and like proofs and things. I didn't realize that philosophy was the first step into understanding a lot of some of my favorite math courses too as well. So, Well, let me piggyback off of that and give you my number three, which was actually my introduction into logic course. Hmm. And I ended up getting like, they, he gave bonus points on his test. And so I got like 103 in that class. Nice. 
And mm. I remember on my final, there was I got 110 because there was 100 questions and 10 bonus questions. And it was because it was the first time I realized, I'm like, okay, here are all of these argument forms. And these argument forms are actually the, the basis of calculus. They're used with proofs in uh, like probability and in statistics. Like these things are important. In the, and I was like, it was the first time I realized that if I structure what I say, if I structure my premises in a certain way, the, de- uh, the deduction will always lead to a valid conclusion. And if I can just sit there and string together valid conclusions and use those as my premises and so on and so forth, I can fundamentally prove my side right. And that was like intoxicating to me, hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and it's something that like still I have with me today. Like I, I just, I love logic. I, I love the fact that it just works and that it was figured out thousands of years ago, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, I'm going to kind of piggyback off both of y'all. So you mentioned... Uh, that sounds sexy. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting uh, kind of sweaty up in here. Uh, so yeah, I guess the reason why I'm going to choose this is because kind of a similar reason where like I just did well in it and like I wasn't really sure going in that that would necessarily be the case. But you know, in, in high school, I always just kicked ass in math. Um, and I always just kind of felt like I was just like a little bit ahead because I cared and like a lot of people just got really intimidated. And so whenever I got to college and I took Calc 2, uh, first off I had like a really good teacher and, um, but it was, it was a class where it was my freshman year and I, I will admit I was not like a hundred percent invested <laughs> in my studies, but it was a class where I really got to test like my my mu- my musco musto is that what is it I don't musco know musco is something, something you like, can coin right I, now. I, <laughs> I got to like really test my mathematical logical mind and like I wasn't like at home studying calculus. In fact, I don't think I hardly ever actually studied for this course, but I did pay a lot of attention in class. I ended up getting like a hundred on the final, which is like the only thing I've ever gotten a hundred on as far as like a final test. Um, And it was that, it was like where I was paying it. I wanted to just pay attention, understand it just from this guy explaining it, do the homeworks. And then like, if I was either going to get it or I wasn't, and I ended up getting it. And I was just like proud. I was like, Oh man, I was kind of scared, like going into college, having my calc two college course or whatever, but I kicked the shit out of this class. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, it just kind of like proved that, you know, I, I, I am a logical being and I can and I can flex that math muscle. All right, Max, what's your number two? So my number two class was a design class that I took uh, back at Lone Star. Um, the reason being was this is the this is like during kind of an in between stage where I was trying to like figure out what I uh, wanted to do mm-hmm. for the most part. And I was coming off of like a business major and I was just like, no, not for me. <laughs> I'm not very interested. in Understandable. This. And I, uh, yeah. So I like took this design and composition course and like <laughs> it was, what was most enlightening for me was me getting to see like how simple all of these like really basic design elements were about things and how like easy it was to impress people 
was kind mm. of what I took from it a lot, which I, I know isn't necessarily course, like man. exactly what design is for. <laughs> I think that everything's like, I have a pitch for you. I have a sick No, but really, honestly, like proved a lot of these theories that I had about art. And it really like, in one way, it was kind of, you know, like that moment of just like, Ugh, like art really isn't that impressive to me. But also at the same time, I was just like, this is actually kind of cool how easy all of this is. I know I'm being very generic with everything, but what I like, I have a lot of my own works that I put from that class up in my house that people have like, oh, where'd you get that from? And not because it's like, oh, it's such a beautiful masterpiece and stuff, but just the way it designed, it doesn't look like I was like made it. Just hmm. looks like I bought it from somewhere, or hmm. like something else, like a design. Piece I remember when you were taking this course. I know what I know which ones you're talking about, and they do look good. Yeah, and they were yeah, they're pretty cool. I hang them up everywhere. Everybody seems to like them. Um, also, for my final grade, and this is actually really why I actually like this course. <laughs> I was just feeling this all up <laughs> for my final project that I had to turn in. All right. Okay. I uh, was doing this this uh, watercolor um, like abstract surreal head of a person looking down and his like mind is exploding into like all this really crazy trippy color stuff. Right. And it's supposed to be very colorful. So so big before I did it. No, but the fact is for real. And so I was going, and that's exactly what I was thinking was very like, yeah, they'll buy, they'll eat this shit up. So I fucking do this entire, I start this watercolor painting and I am at an apartment, my first apartment with my buddy Tom, uh, the night before it's due and I set it down, like thinking, like, okay, I'm gonna like come back and finish this tonight. Well, after we do some stuff, we're gonna like hang out, play some video games or whatever. Legitimately, fucking space on the entire project, and it's like half. Just so didn't do it. What What is on this paper right now is like a few watercolor background spots, like a half drawn face, like <laughs> pen a little bit on the page and stuff, or whatever. I fucking hate. And you. I woke up and I'm like, oh my fucking god, I didn't do this, and I'm supposed to do today. And I like literally was driving to school, and I was gonna try to like finish it before I got like went in there, but there was like traffic, and I ended up going into class and just being like, whatever, I have a good grade in this class. Like, what's the worst I'm gonna get on this exam? Blah blah blah. <laughs> And I, we have to go up and like put it up on the on the black on the board and like kind of explain it and present it right. Uh-huh. And I went up there and I kid you not, my teacher was just like, oh, "I love what you've done. <laughs> I get it." She literally looks at me and she was just like, "I get it." And You're I was like, "Genius! What are you God talking damn about?" It, dude. And she was just like, "I didn't say that. I was just like, I'm I'm glad you do." This you is why people don't respect. And art I swear to God, like she explained it for me. She was just like, "I get like because it was kind of vaguely like made in one direction. Like I started in one corner and like worked it down. Uh-huh. So what it actually ended up kind of looking like was like the guy's face was like." half drawn a little bit of penman work was or pen penmanship was done and like all the colors were in the top left corner where all like the more trippier elements and stuff were uh-huh. and she was just like i can see how like <laughs> people view reality as like this boring <laughs> stale environment and you can look at a man and think like this guy doesn't have anything going on in his mind but when you really get in there and break down his character <laughs> What really goes on in each in, inside all of us, inside your mind, Set inside your you? mind, I swear, just like this. <laughs> just like totally unprovoked. Yeah, which is like inside your mind, blah, 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 like all this shit. And I just started going on. To, uh, You're like, like there's absolutely. This, and I'm like, dude, thank you. Yeah. Some people might look at this and think, oh, I fell asleep last night and played Street Fighter 3 with my buddy who plays Chun-Li. And it's super whack because he's like the best character in the game. It was real cheap. But I see a perfect piece of art. 
And uh, no, I, I really went. I got like a 98 on the project. <laughs> and I was legitimately just like flabbergasted. But it, honestly, like importantly, what I took out of that was like, dude, art is a scam. But also um, <laughs> there's just so many different ways to like approach art. And it's all about like what I took was like, it's all about how you deliver something and how you like, it's really present things as opposed to what you have. You it's know? in the eye of the beholder a it lot really of times. Is. Yeah, And uh, I don't know. That was just mostly I like that class because of that final moment. But I really <laughs> did take that away from it. And I also just, you know, I like the pieces that I ended up coming out with in that class. So. That's a good story. I like Thank that. Yeah. I will give my number two to a course that I took in my senior year or my fifth year, my final year, which was Might and Right Among Nations. And so I was an international relations major, um, which is just basically the study of how states interact with each other on a global stage. And this was a course that took that subject matter, but looked at it from like a philosophical angle. So it basically went through all of these philosophers through the ages and, and looked at what they had to say about how states should act. And so it basically combined my two favorite interests, which was like, you know, states on a global scale, but through a philosophical lens. And I just fucking ate that class up. I had a professor who was just probably the most engaging person I've ever listened to, like of all time. Just we, we, we would be assigned like five pages from this book and I would like read it like, OK, I got it. And then he would speak on it for like an hour and just like would be able to just dig so much out of there, which was amazing. And it's it's informed Literally, the way that I think about international relations comes down to this class still. And the way that I describe uh, concepts to people comes from things I learned in that class. And I just, I fucking loved it, man. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. So my number two uh, is also, I think I also took this one freshman year. It might have been, uh, it might have been sophomore year, but I think it's freshman year. And it's human sexuality. And uh, I think the reason why I like it, I had this professor named Mr. Brownstein, and he basically had free reign to talk about whatever he wanted. And so, like, I think just to kind of shake everybody up and, like, get everybody actively being like, oh, shit, like, he's going to start, like, stepping on toes a little bit and, you know, cracking our shell a little bit for the first couple of... uh, First couple of classes, he kind of everyone just, come in naked. <laughs> he oh, uh, kind of stuff like that. Like in the first, in the first, well, <laughs> not get their dicks. Not out. exactly like that, but uh, for the first couple of classes, basically all he did was he was discussing like history and like how sexuality came in history and stuff, and that was closely tied to religion. And then for the first like three courses or classes, he was basically just like asking everybody everything they thought about religion and just like it's it got into this like super like he was just asking us like so what is sin you know (laughs) and like getting into all this stuff and then after everybody's brain juices were flowing then he could finally kind of like be like okay well this is how we can now approach sexuality and it was really cool because like i think i just didn't realize like how undereducated i was in regards of even just like the reproductive process um and it was interesting, like, thinking about, like, social norms that develop in regards to sexuality and, like, oh, this guy's supposed to do this and, like, this is supposed to happen when this happens. And it just really made me think differently about, like, my sexual being, you know? Like, I, I just considered myself a different, a different uh, animal, after yeah. that course, it was changed your world. Yeah, view. like you're just your total your perspective. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Those are the best. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, All right, Max, number one. Okay, so I will say that my number one favorite course that I have taken is actually the course that I took last summer, which was my first ASL course I've ever taken. And uh, it's less funny than the last course that I took, but coming into that course, I I had learned uh, a pretty good amount of sign language beforehand, so I kind of came in pretty stacked. But that course for me was just like the right amount of like my own personal interest. And it had been it had been a really long time since I had been like personally really interested in the course I was taking because I'm coming from a computer science major hmm. where like honestly, I I didn't like the courses I was taking. It can be dull. Yeah, yeah. it was super <laughs> dull. And like I, like it was almost like from computer sciences, I liked the applications like I liked what I could do with it, yeah. but I didn't necessarily like the practice. And that's how accounting is for me. <laughs> yeah, dude, like I like what happens at the end, but doing it sucks. Yeah. And um, I was kind of just, I, I took this ASL course and it was just such a nice, refreshing change of pace where it was a lot less grinding. And it was again, kind of that same way of philosophy where you kind of go in and you don't just like look up and down and take notes and like try to memorize and like catch everything that the, teacher is telling you and things like that it was a lot of practice and it was a lot more engaging than and a lot more like throwing you into an environment because your teacher is deaf so you go in there Mm. and you have one hour of an interpreter on your first class and then they leave and then you never have an interpreter and you aren't allowed to speak in class the rest of the semester and it was just like being able to catch on and like the feeling I had being able to communicate with my professor like so quickly and like I remember the first time when we were like talking to each other from where I was on my seat and I was like, not, you know, you kind of go around and you ask those very basic questions because we're learning basic science of like, right. What's your name and stuff like that. But I added in just like a few little jokes cause he was asking about your family and I was telling him stuff and I was added stuff like, you know, that like I'm a mama's boy and like adding all these little things, these little quirks that made it a little more of like a natural conversation. And I could tell the way he was signing to me wasn't just like as a professor, he was like mm. actually talking to me. It was a very unique and awesome feeling and experience that I could communicate with somebody in a different language, which I'm sure you've had That's that experience. That's badass, dude. Yeah, with German. Like the first time shit. you ever <laughs> talked to somebody in German naturally, I'm sure was just like Chase a, eats it up. The first time you ever made a joke or understood a joke in German. Like the first, dude. Well, the humor, humor is often the last part, the last thing you get when you learn a language. Yeah. So it is very, uh, like it, it's a finish line moment. Yeah. You know? And I can, like, you know, it's just like making, yeah, making him laugh or him making me laugh with uh, ASL jokes or something like that was just really awesome. And I can, yeah, I plan on studying it for a very long time and learning it fluently. And I'm going to be. That's awesome, man. It's very cool. I'm very, I was very happy about my experience last semester. It's not as funny as the, you know, final, but. It's cool. That's that's a good story. I still like it. (laughs) Very good. Um, my number one is going to be my introduction into ancient art history class that I took mm, my freshman year. I was waiting for the art and history one. <laughs> this is still my favorite course just ever. Man. Art like, history fucking rules. <laughs> it's the best. Well, the thing is, I took after that class, I was so high on it that I signed up for other courses and I realized that I was just in a special course. Yeah. Like yeah. my professor I had was great because the second course I took, it was like, here's this painting here are the things that it did. Here are the terms. Here's why it's important. Here's the next painting. With this other one, I like didn't really need to take notes. I just sat there and listened. And he was such an engaging speaker that like it just everything he said went straight in my fucking brain. You know, <laughs> and it's stuff sad. that I still remember to this day. And like it was amazing that it, it's not really that course wasn't so much the history of art as much as I it was also learning history through art. 
I learned so much about like ancient peoples and different um, different areas and and like how history influenced art and then that art would influence history. It's like, oh yeah, you want to know why like Jesus is called the Lamb of God? Well, because this statue from, you know, there was this convention in archaic Greek sculpture that blah, 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 blah. You learn all of these things. And I remember like the semester afterwards, I came um, back that summer, Max, and you and I were hanging out in a not sober state of mind. And for some (laughs) reason, like, Everything that I had learned in that course, I just like vomited out on say, you. I, feel like all I also at once. took this course, <laughs> and it sounded very amazing. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, so. and like, yeah, it, it's just I still, if I could rewind time and take that class again, I would do it in an instant. I just, it was amazing. That's awesome. I'm jealous. I wish I would have. I wish I would have been exposed to something like that because I don't know shit about art. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, okay. So my number one is actually in the realm of accounting. And um, I think the reason why, just like give a little bit of a background, like most of the courses that I would take in business class and in uh, accounting in particular were very like based in academia. It's about like knowing the technical, like this is how this works and this is where you put this. And it was very like formulaic. But um, I got to study abroad in um, my fourth year of college and we were in Prague, Czech Republic, and we were basically taking courses that were catering to accounting in other countries because, you know, like the U.S. has like its accounting standards, but then there's like a worldwide international accounting standards and stuff that go on as well. And so the, the teacher that I had was largely the reason why I chose this because he was this guy that... He actually works at the same, or he worked at, as like a big wig kind of guy at the company that I currently work for. And then he just decided for shits and gigs to like be done there and go to UT and like teach. And so he really brought like, he didn't bring like the academia necessarily to it. He really just brought like personal experiences and his own like thoughts and understandings on things, which I found to be like way more fascinating because I don't really care about the academia of accounting. And so. It was also interesting because he was incorporating like the political aspects. Like he was talking about how bribery was so such like a big part uh, all over the world. So there was almost like this international relations like feel to it, and like talking about why the U.S. wants to keep their standards and why they're trying to converge, but then they have trouble with converging. So there was just like it was like accounting, but then it was all of this other stuff surrounding accounting that made it interesting to me because I originally just started... It's like context. Yeah, it was like, originally I just took... I just decided to major and eventually like get my graduate degree in accounting because it was like a good career move. But this was actually something that like I was engaged in and it made me like enjoy what I was learning. And so yeah, I think that like opened the door for me to actually think it was okay to like accounting. (laughs) Sure. Well, that's awesome. Thank you guys for uh, bringing your top threes. That was a fun one. Let's go ahead and mosey on over to the mail corner. Let's do it, dude. It's it. It's dentist mail corner now. <laughs> All right. Our first listener mail is titled, I'm still waiting to hear how that Dunter's mail corner conversation went. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we ever actually had it, man. I don't oh. think we did. I think I think at this point we just need to figure out how we want to record a Dunter's Dunter horse set uh, titled Buffer. 
That's the thing. It's because I really like the guitar chops, you know, on the buffer that we got right now. You should just yeah. like cheesily dub Dunter over Nick's name. Like, it's Dunter's Mail Corner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, very, I'm actually pretty into that, that man. Yeah, so if that's what he wants, just give him that. <laughs> He's persistent. We got to yeah. give him that. We got to give him brownie so, points, yeah. man. He says, time for my mail corner. Max, the better one, has inspired me to ask an ethical dilemma, so prepare yourselves. You are a doctor and you have three patients whom you know a little too much about, and all three are waiting to receive a liver transplant. Patient number one, Topanga Lawrence, is a 30-year-old mother of three children, all of whom are 10 years or less in age. She was recently widowed and has no other family to take care of their children if she passes. If she receives the transplant, she will live for 50 years. Patient number two, Bulma Briefs, is a 52-year-old scientist who has almost found the cure for cancer. She will not be able to finish her research prior to passing away, and no one will be able to recreate or understand her research for 30 more years, which is how long she will live if the recipient, if she's the recipient of the transplant. And finally, patient number three, Joffrey Baratheon, who is a 71-year-old widow, widower who is estranged from the rest of his family. He's expected to live for five more years if he receives a liver transplant. Suddenly, a liver comes into the ER. The liver is an 80% match for patient one, a 60% match for patient two, and a perfect match for patient three. <laughs> who do you give the liver incredibly, to? Incredibly deep. And then yeah. he says, until next week, Dunter, the king of love and beauty, horset. I already got my answer. <laughs> yeah, I know Bulma my answer Briefs too. is one of my childhood mega crushes from Dragon Ball Z and from <laughs> Dragon Ball. Bulma Briefs is a stone cold fox. Is and that her real last name in the show? Is it Briefs? It's Briefs, yeah. I didn't know that. I, I just always either. heard Bulma. Yeah. yeah. Well, Bulma Briefs, if I could somehow give her that liver transplant, she wakes up and she looks at me and she's like, you saved my life. I'm yours, baby. <laughs> That's the chance I have to take. I gotta go for that one. Why don't you hop into my uh, my gravity based weight training simulation? Get and just become the, the ultra male. <laughs> <laughs> I would say for a uh, you know a less you know aesthetic reasons of Bulma, I would absolutely give it to the scientist who was guaranteed that close to curing cancer. Yeah. Okay, and I'm sorry, but like that's the risk I'm gonna have to take for mankind. Yeah. For human beings everywhere. And I'm not gonna guarantee like it sucks, you know. You're an old guy. I know I could have said You're saved an you, old guy. <laughs> but you lived a good amount of time. And honestly, it sounds like Bulma's really not gonna live that much farther past you anyway, so that's not really fair to give you more life, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. You live seventy one years. That's a long time to live. That's congratulations. I will see you later. The first woman, obviously, it's terrible. I'm so sorry I couldn't save you for your kids, but I'm sure they will understand when one of them gets cancer later on and we can just <laughs> cure it, so that'll be great. That'll so, be great. Uh, yes, yeah, so I will absolutely cure the cancer. If we're, talk if we're talking about the actual character Joffrey, there's not a fucking scent in hell. There's no way <laughs> I'm giving him the liver. I don't care if it's a 180% match. And Topanga... That's, a, that's understandable. Topanga, I had a huge crush on her, particularly yeah, particularly in like the 16 to 17 year old range. I was just like, oh my God, it doesn't get any hotter than Topanga. <laughs> Have um, you seen those lips? I will say, you know, Topanga is a younger woman. She's got more life ahead of her, right? Um, and she has children, which throws an additional complication into the thing. Bulma Briefs is older uh, has a little bit better of a match for the liver, but she, has she a does. Worse match. But 
No, I think Topanga's 60%. And I think Topanga's 85, Bulma's 60, right? I got to bring up the question again. Bring up the question. I'm pretty sure I thought he went the same way where it was like 60, 80, 100. I thought that Topanga had 60 and that Bulma had 80. Topanga has 80. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bulma's sixty. Oh. It's a bigger risk to give it. It's wow. the biggest risk. It's actually to give the it to biggest. The it's the save. biggest risk but and least likely it. for Bulma. Sixty percent is great in the medical field. If they all come in at the same time, mm-hmm. I think I have to give it to Topanga because I think she's gonna cry, and I don't think I could handle it, man. I think I'd be like, "You have kids you have and you're thirty, like." I don't. I'm a doctor, but Jesus, like I'm gonna give it to the. Jesus, (laughs) I'm gonna give it to the person with a family who's gonna cry in front of me and make me squeam and oh no. But you've essentially murdered everybody who has cancer (laughs) after the next two years. For thirty years, they didn't that say that it blood. is assured. They that said it. It's assured. Yeah, they said she it has. The, she will find the cure. But it's only a sixty percent chance that she gets. She lives, and then it's a match. And that one life that you gambled for the, I assuming I don't know the cancer research, but it's got to be within the five hundred thousands, if not more than that. Yeah, people that will die. That is wacky. Yeah, I don't know. I like. I definitely. I feel like the obvious option is Bulma, but I kind of want to. Want I feel wacky. I just want to go with Topanga. Yeah. I did have a huge crush on Topanga, and <laughs> she has kids, Topanga. and she's got more life to live, and it's a better match. So you know what? I got my reasons. I also just have like a huge fear of cancer itself, so I'm totally just like. I think that's completely to, uh, a legitimate fear, man. It's like such a random disease. All right. Um, Dunter sent that question to our email address, wittybantershow at gmail.com. So you can do that if you'd like to get your question answered. But we also have another question that came from our website, wittybantershow.com. And this one comes from Max Kelleher. Yes. He's been on a, he's been on a roll. He says, Hey, Witty Banter, been listening to more episodes and I've definitely found my favorite. Episode 58 is a beauty. Wow. You both geek out on space, which is right up my alley, (laughs) and talk about your favorite road songs, which was enjoyable since you're both clearly passionate about music. I actually work on the Johnson Space Center, and if Chase ever gets the chance to come down to Houston, I think it'd be fun to all go on a tour of the facility. It has a life size Saturn V rocket and. International International Space Station mock-up, not to mention Mission Control. Just let me know and we can make it happen. Dude, yeah, we're fucking definitely going to happen. And I'm also just now putting together... Wait, Max Kelleher, you live in Houston now? Oh, yeah, he's at NASA, dude. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I knew that, but I never put that together. <laughs> dude, bro, bro, let's hang out, dude. I haven't seen you in forever, man. Yeah. Where you been? What's up, dude? What's up, dude? Woody Banter's going to the moon, <laughs> baby! <laughs> <laughs> or maybe to Mars. Oh. He says, but my favorite part about episode 58 is how it ends. You wrap up with no listener mail. That could easily crush the spirit, but that is what it is to be an artist. <laughs> you scream into the ether, no one answers, so you laugh it off and you scream louder. I loved it. And he says, since last week's question was a bit of a downer, I've got more of an uplifting question for you all. Would you rather be able to speak every language fluently or play every instrument skillfully? I hear this question all the Thanks, time. I've never fellas, got this question. Have a so good one. Easy. If you don't pick languages, you're an idiot. Are, Are you, you serious? Me? Are you kidding me? Are you serious? <laughs> every language? Every instrument? <laughs> Dude, every <laughs> instrument. Just learn to play the five good ones. No. I'm just fucking doing it. No. <laughs> Dude. Why, Max? You're telling me you don't want to play the theremin like a pro right now? Yeah, that would be. I feel like I could learn the theremin in a eighth of the time it would take me to learn any language. I feel like masterful. No, no, serious. 
Not masterfully, no. <laughs> Don't give me that well, face. Well, this is what I'm going to say. I can't see his face okay? right now, but it's outrageous. I feel like it's, it's definitely socially better and just like... It's more impressive, really, to know that many languages. And, like, that gets you in a lot of doors. I don't know if that's exactly the shoe. I, I, I mean, honestly I, it's thought you pretty were impressive doing, to know yeah, every instrument. Like going to well, I feel like way. there are people that know every instrument that you're like, yeah, that's definitely impressive. But then it's like a different level if somebody knows like 25 plus languages you're like oh my god that guy must be a genius it's definitely impressive have you met anybody who knows 25 languages well there are those people but still like that is so much that's outrageous like that's not just like man yeah that is impressive 25 languages you've run across somebody that speaks five or six languages you're like oh my god yeah yeah you're how a does freak. this guy understand six different concepts of communication that is unreal. but i think it would be more personally satisfying to be able to play literally whatever the fuck you want on an instrument at any point in time. Like, you could join any band. <laughs> you could be you could a be. band. <laughs> hey, you guys need a member for your band? Well, for what? Any it member of your matter. band. It's fine. <laughs> We're a marching band of 200. It's okay. I'm just saying, like, a lot of my time is spent practicing. And if I didn't have to practice because I was such a Boy. badass at everything, that I could just play and make stuff. I don't know, man. It's a pretty appetizing. As a musician, it's a pretty appetizing thing. I think just from your standpoint, though, you can at least like look at the fact that you learned, like you have a natural talent for music, right? And that's really I don't what, know. That's what like <laughs> gives you. But that's what gives you a competitive edge. Is like at an early age, being exposed to like rhythm and beats and like understanding how music works pretty quick. Understanding music theory earlier on in your life will just benefit you learning any instrument later on. And I guess you could say like the more languages you learn, the next one's going to be easier. Definitely. But dude, like instruments are like, I don't know. It's just I've heard riveting pianists and guitarists and that's really awesome and but like that's not nearly as crucial or important to like communicating or like getting an idea even across to somebody else like you could visit anywhere and see everything culturally in the world and experience everything the way it should be experienced like that is unreal like that is crazy well, and people, you can read any text any text all right, you like stuff. Okay, so obviously this is coming down to me and Hunter have very different opinions. Chase, break it for us. Who's you who want, the time? Yeah, yeah, I think here. I know what Chase is gonna pick. Well, yeah, the obvious answer is language. Yeah, yeah. it is the obvious language or the obvious answer, man. Because I'm I'm going with pretty much with what you're saying, Max. Like the ability to travel anywhere, to communicate with anybody, anywhere, anytime, to meet and be able to com- and, and be able to like trade ideas with every human soul out there yeah. that's fucking incredible that is i guess it's just like particular to but music speaks to the soul too like i don't want to yeah like, in, in music, music is a can't universal communicate language, ideas. Guys. <laughs> come on well and, and plus like i feel very specific in my answer because i know english and english is like if anything is close to knowing a lot of you know how to communicate with 50% of the world. Yeah, I mean, I have like a, a definite heads up as opposed to knowing like Portuguese or something. But, and at the same time, like... <laughs> you fucking Brazilians. I, <laughs> I, I hate to say it, and it's something that I'm trying to work on, but I'm failing. I don't read that often either. So like, 
I don't know. It's just certainly books more applicable. It's certainly Music more applicable cool. for me to be a musician because I think it would be like kick ass to just be like, oh, this is a wooden stick and a string, and just like blow people's minds. Magic. You would just know the extent of the wooden stick and the string. But if you could play it better than anyone, or like masterfully, I just think that that's just as impressive in a lot of scenarios, man. Thank you for the question, Max. Yeah, that thank was you, Max, for, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you for the question, Max. Let's that was definitely hang out. Up, uh, Let's definitely go to the NASA thing. I want to do that. No, oh, no. Like, I already got the title. We're gonna do Witty Banter Goes to the Moon. We'll be hitting you up, man. That sounds <laughs> fucking <laughs> great. Yeah. Be on the show, man. Oh, dude. All right. Um, let's go ahead and put some numbers on these beers, and then we will fucking get out of here. Okay. Uh, I'll go first. Okay. I find this beer to be pretty lackluster and boring. That's it. I really have not <laughs> much more to add than what I said before. This beer smells just like a piney, hoppy IPA. It's kind of thin. It doesn't really have much flavor besides just hoppy and bitter. And the only like orange that comes through for me is at the end, and it just tastes riny and not very good. Um, I'm going to give this beer a 5.5. Yep. Uh, I'm kind of in the same spectrum. Uh, there was like nothing too crazy pop out about this beer. I think there is credit where credit is due is the fact that it's a very drinkable IPA and kudos on that. It is drinkable. So that's really, that's always fun because I feel like when you're looking down a beer list and you want something that's like easy to drink, you immediately just skim over every IPA and just think like, oh, that's out of the fucking picture. Right. But this is definitely in that category and I think that's awesome. But that being said, I've had those before and this tastes just the same as all of those with a weird ranny aftertaste afterwards. Plus a fly flew in my beer in the very last six of it. Are you serious? So I feel like that's definitely just like, you Flies know, and cockroaches, man. to not, you know, support this beer. Right? Wow, so that is. No, outside of that, I just think it's super middle of the road. So we're going to be giving it a very middle number and that's a five. <laughs> right in between one and ten. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for the explanation of yeah. five. Yeah, I've <laughs> taken a lot of math courses. And where so it lies. Um, I agree with most of y'all's points. I thought that whenever it was going to warm up and get a little of the chill off of it, I thought that the orange would come through and that it might bring about like a sweetness, and that really wasn't the case. Uh, even after it warmed up, it it's still very... Um, it, yeah, it's just kind of like your run-of-the-mill bitterness of an IPA. Um, and I do get a lot of the rind at the back end of the taste. Uh, I think it's a good-looking beer, and I do really appreciate the fact that it is a sessionable IPA. I don't think that there's enough of those out there, so I like commend them on that. That being said, and it's like really light-bodied, and that's you know it's, it's, it's enjoyable in that sense, but I, I, I will say it's a little lackluster. Um, I think that you know there's definite room for improvement. Um, I'm going to give it a 6.5. What would you guys do to this beer to make it better? Well, I think I actually think that I like the hops that they use. I might have tried to make it a little bit more alcoholic, which actually speaks a little against uh, what I was saying about its sessionability. Is that a word? To no, it being it is now to it being sessionable. Um, get out the witty banner dictionary. But I think instead of it having that rininess, I think I would rather get more of like a sweetness of orange. Um, because I, I, I feel like it's, it, it's like the, the rininess 
is yeah, it's at the back end of the taste and it rides the bitter in like a weird way. And I would rather have like more of an upfront orange with like a back end bitter hoppy kick. I don't know. Cool. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that's some Witty Banter episode number 68. Thank you so much for listening. You can find Witty Banter on iTunes. Just search for Witty Banter. Hit subscribe. All of our episodes will show up in your download queue for free. We are also on a variety of Android-supported services as well. But if you don't find us on the one you want, just send us an email to wittybantershow at gmail.com. We'll try to get it up there immediately. Or you can just go to wittybantershow.com to download all of our episodes for free as well. Uh, Witty Banter is on Twitter, so go to at Witty Banter to follow us, or Witty Banter Show to follow us there. And then I am at Bodacious Chase, and Max is at Maxi Dangus. That has been episode number 68. I'm excited for you guys to check out the special that we're going to be doing next week. Um, thank you, everybody, who wrote in a question uh, this week as well. We really appreciate the support. And if you're listening now and you haven't written in before, Maybe make uh, next week or the week after the, f- the, the first time. It'll, it'll be awesome to hear from you. But uh, for Max and for Hunter, for myself, have a good night, everybody. Good night. Beep, 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 beep.